and welcome to the Creative Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Van Doren, and in this podcast, I talk with some of the most creative and inspiring people that I know. From hearing about their process to what holds them back from creating, routines and rituals, to the intersection between creativity and spirituality, you'll hear from writers, actors, singers, dancers, musicians, painters, multi-passionate creatives, and anyone else who considers themselves a creative soul. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Creative Soul Podcast. Super excited to have you here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are safe and happy and you are listening to your heart during this time. I am really excited to give to you this week's guest, Lizzie Markson. I will save the story for how Lizzie and I met because we talk about it later in the episode and I don't want to have any spoilers for you, but I will say that this episode is really special because it's essentially a creativity jam session where Lizzie and I, Lizzie and I have really similar viewpoints about creativity and this is why I wanted to have her on the podcast. She's someone that I really admire and who inspires me with all the work that she does just because she's so truthful and approaches art and creativity from such a beautiful viewpoint as you'll see in this episode. But we really just talk about creativity as a topic and we jam about what does it mean to be in the creative flow. We jam about having a daily creative practice and the benefits of having a daily creative practice. We talk about setting up structures for yourself and setting intention before a creative practice and really how to get yourself into that mindset. So I think you will find this episode really valuable. But a bit more about Lizzie. She is a theater artist an acting teacher and coach, and a movement and meditation teacher. Her mission and everything she does is to empower others to open their hearts so they feel held in unity and catharsis. As an actor, she has appeared as Sophie in the Mamma Mia Farewell National Tour, Anybody's in West Side Story in Tokyo, and Natalie in Next to Normal. She also has a newsletter called Return to You, where she empowers creatives to come back home to their wholeness via blog posts, workshops, and classes. So as you can probably already see, Lizzie and I are pretty similar, but I'm really excited for you to get to experience her magic and her message. So without further ado, we'll dive into this conversation with Lizzie. Well, hello, Lizzie. Thank you so much for coming on the Creative Soul Podcast. Hello, Leah. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I... I kind of wanted to talk about how we met, but maybe we'll get into that because I like to always start the conversation with asking what is currently fueling your creative soul? Hmm. What's been fueling my creative soul throughout this time, which is something I haven't been getting consistently, but when I get it, I notice that my creativity is at a high, is friendship. Hmm and like laughing and with friends that and i don't know if this makes sense but it's like when i create that feeds my creative soul Mm. that's such a beautiful response that no one has given a response like that but like that moment of human connection and laughter to me is like that spontaneous 
release of emotion or that spontaneous like things combusting, which is a cool way to think of laughter as creativity. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Right. Wow. Yeah. What kind of things I know you are a dancer, an actor, a singer. Um, how would you describe yourself as an artist? Oh my gosh, a lot of things, mm. but the things that light me up the most are like embodied expression. Mm. So like, I, I guess my basket of outlets is like painting, doodling, writing, but then the ones, and those are almost, I think of those as like purely meditative and like simply therapeutic and then the embodied expressions like singing dancing acting or like making up songs they're kind of like song blurts like journal songs like journal Mm -hmm. improv singing i love improv i love improv that that stuff like the embodied expression is what feels like home to me Wow, the you just illuminated something that I've never thought about before, but thinking about like meditative creating versus embodied creating mm. and the difference between those two. And it makes me think of like meditative creating as purely creating for the sake of creating and not to perform or produce or whatever, but just like be in the flow and kind of get that state of mind because I really think that like meditation and creative flow are the same. Like when you get into those states of consciousness, I guess those, those states of being are the same. So what does being in creative flow mean and, or look like to you and how do you, how do you get there? Mm. Um, it means being lost and found at the same time Mm. and being like totally in your own universe and not in your judgmental head like totally inside of the creativity where time flows time flows time ceases to exist or time flies Mm. um yeah i feel like i'm actually able to get into a flow more with the embodied expression because i have a higher skill level in it so Mm -hmm. i know i can like work towards something or i can like really get lost in it because i've done so much like technical training through the years that now when i go into it i cannot think about that it's like second nature but with like doodling and drawing it's not as or painting, it's not as second nature. I don't have like any technique. So there's nothing that I, I don't really know how to get better or I don't know like how to work towards something specific. I'm not ever, like you said, working towards something specific. I'm just kind of going. And Mm -hmm. I think actually flow is deepened when I can like get better as I go or go deeper as I go. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. getting better, but it's like going deeper and using my skills that are somewhere in my body, but I'm not like consciously pulling on. Or maybe I, I think you also can consciously pull on. This is such an interesting question. How do I get there? I think it has to do with what 
I do before I do the thing. Mm. So if I'm allowing myself a certain amount of time to do the thing or I've cleared my mind before I've done the thing, like meditated or, I mean, set an intention for my practice. But if I have any sense of like, oh, I should be doing something else or I'm kind of just like squeezing it in, but I'm not really present and I'm like kind of checking Facebook while I'm warming up my voice, there's no way I can be in flow because I'm not inside of that moment. So it's like giving myself space before I do the thing to let go of whatever came before and get inside of that moment. Yeah, I think that's so important. Like the rituals that you do, the pre-rituals that you do to set up for the thing. Because I think maybe that's something that people don't realize as much that it's like sometimes you you do need to prepare a space and you need to set an intention because you can't just like dive into something. I mean, even with a meditation practice, I feel like, you know, there's the ritual of like setting up my pillow, maybe lighting incense or lighting a candle, maybe putting on music if I'm feeling that, that way. And then it takes a few cycles of breath to really get into that moment. And then there's some point in that, you know, when I'm breathing that suddenly it feels like the key is like locked in the, unlocks the door and suddenly it's like oh I've arrived but thinking about that with creating of like setting up your space and so whether that's if you're going to paint and you're you know setting up the ritual of the paints or doing something that kind of grounds you in that moment I think those like pre-rituals before doing the thing is really important yeah 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 I think what we do before we do the thing dictates how we'll experience what the thing is Mm. like if we mindlessly catapult into it we're gonna have a mindless experience and we're gonna be really susceptible to the like automatic narratives in our head that will jump in with like beating ourselves up or fear or we're gonna be really susceptible to outside circumstances like if our voice if we don't set ourselves up beforehand and we start singing and our voice cracks We're going to like let that circumstance like overtake us and pursue this negative narrative about it or say that it means something about us. But if we've set ourselves up before it hand to say this session is all about experimenting and I trust that messing up is or I'm going to experiment with delighting in my mess ups, then we've set ourselves up for when our voice cracks to get curious and delight in it. But we can only like have that automatic reaction if we intentionally do it. We have to like work that muscle to have the experience we want to have. Oh, I love that of like just being open to experimentation and getting curious about it instead of beating yourself up if something doesn't go the way you plan. That's really beautiful. Um, I loved what you said also about technique and the idea that the technique having like a foundation of technique and having skills to fall back on actually allows you to go deeper. I think that's super interesting. I was going to ask, do you ever dread doing the work? Like I find for myself, if I'm like, Oh, I have to do my vocal warmups and I have to practice singing. Do, do those thoughts ever come up for you? And how do you kind of deal with that resistance and the dread quote unquote? Um, yeah, I, yes. <laughs> Uh, that's like, are you a human? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And yes. (laughs) 
Yes, I dread all the time. And usually when I'm succumbing to the dread, it's because I'm not even acknowledging that I'm dreading it. Mm. <laughs> it's like when I'm able to acknowledge that I'm dreading it, then I can overcome the resistance and be like, okay, I notice I'm dreading it, but I know that I will feel better when I do it. So then I can do it. But if it's like when that dread is in this like lower level that you're not even aware of it, that it's hard to overcome because you haven't named it. Um, yeah, I dread all the time. And especially in this time, it's really hard. I, I'm usually like in pre-COVID times, I'm very good at overcoming it like because our routines were so different. And it was just... I think the best way to overcome it is to just have a consistent practice and to say mm. I warm up my voice every day, period. So mm. you like have a system in place so that you know you're going to show up whether or not you feel like it. But in this time, I mean, my routine has totally changed. So I, I guess also though, allowing yourself Maybe it's like shifting the story of it's okay to not do the thing sometimes. Like you don't have to beat yourself up for not doing the thing. Like, oh, I let resistance win. How dare I? I need to be better. I don't know. I'm not answering your question. I'm kind of like working it out out loud because I think a lot of people are feeling resistance right now. And I don't want us to like beat ourselves up for that. Yeah, that's a question that I have often of like, how it's kind of like um balancing the like masculine feminine structures of our way of being and how do we set up a consistent daily practice and commit to it but then also how how and when do we know like is it okay because there's that thing I think about this with like exercising like you know you'll dread exercising but then always after you exercise you never regret it so it's like the same thing with the creative practice if you're like whatever whatever commitment you've made to yourself, whether that's writing three pages every day or doing your vocal warmups every day, there is such beauty in consistency and commitment. But then it's like, well, when do we allow ourselves to kind of let that go? And like, if one day we don't get to it for whatever reason, how can we be okay with exploring creativity in other ways and like it doesn't always have to be that thing and I find for myself I get into like cycles where I'll like commit to something really intensely for 30 days and then after the 30 days then it's just kind of a tool in my toolkit and I use it when I need it but then sometimes I get like I beat myself up a little bit of like well you know, why aren't you doing this every day? You should have a consistent daily practice. So I wonder what that is for you. And if you found cycles in those moments or how you deal with balancing the structure versus the permission to let go of the structures you've put in place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. (laughs) Um, I think it's, yeah, I think everything you said is spot on and I think it's constantly negotiating and it's like constantly falling one way or the other and then readjusting like being really committed and really consistent and it feeling great and then or not feeling great every day but mostly feeling good because it does feel good to be consistent and even when you don't feel like it and then maybe noticing that you're being like too 
intense or or you burn out on that consistency and then you fall the other way and you're like, well, I'm not going to give myself any rules. I'm going to totally, like you said, like lean into the feminine, whatever. It's all good. And then you realize that doesn't feel good anymore. So then you start to put more commitments in place. So I think it's, at least for me, it's just like a constant renegotiation, mm-hmm. like kind of falling one way or the other. And and I think it's, like you said, commitments and consistency is really powerful and gives you a container to to notice like how you shift every day like if you're say you're writing every day if you commit to writing like if you're doing artist way or I, I should use my own experience like what am I doing every day okay I've started meditating every day like if I do that every day I now can notice if I'm doing the same thing every day I now can notice what is different about me every day so it's like we need consistency to really notice how we shift yeah Um, and I think it's the intention that matters I think it's like the intention of I my intention is to show up every day for this specific thing and if you don't if you miss a day that's okay I think maybe what feel makes me feel the most empowered is if I set up a commitment and then when I'm missing a day intentionally like talking myself through why I'm not going to do the thing that day. Like yesterday I went on a hike with my friend in New York. I drove to New York and that took the whole day. So I didn't do like much of anything else that day, but I consci- it was a conscious choice. Mm-hmm. And I said, like I told myself, this is important for me because it refills my well and like we said before laughter is what fuels my with friends is what fuels my creative soul so this is actually going to be in service of tomorrow when i show up for my consistent creative practice Mm. yeah yeah that's really beautiful the the difference between a conscious choice versus life got in my way and I, and I wasn't able to show up for this thing, which also happens and that's okay too, but having the intention to show up and then you will, and then making the conscious choice. I love thinking about interpretive artistry versus generative artistry. And I know that you call yourself a generative artist. And I want to talk about, cause I feel like you've had experience doing both. And so were you always a generative artist? Did you kind of go on a journey to come to that conclusion or h- how has that looked like for you? And what's your perception on both? Ooh, such a good question. Um, yeah, I guess I started as an interpretive artist, started dancing at like five at a studio, like a lot of little girls do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and just learning choreography, but also from an early age, well, yeah, also from a pretty early age, started choreographing my own dances. So they, I definitely started interpretive and then, but generative was pretty quick on its tail in terms of like choreographing. And... But still predominantly interpretive with dance and acting and singing and would only call myself really a choreographer. Like that would be the only generative term I would use for myself. But I mean, I recently discovered some old notebooks where I wrote some songs that are 
pretty terrible, but you know, they were from me. I created them and they were dramatic and terrible. Um, <laughs> but I think most recently I've been really leaning into generative artistry. Um, I guess generative, I mean, I've always like painted in color, but like I said before, that was really for my own like feeling, not for to be successful at it. But recently I've been really leaning into writing and songwriting and it's hard to lean into my identity as a generative artist. Like, oh, but I'm not really, like I write songs, but like I'm not really a songwriter. I'm just a singer, actor. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my initial answer. Do you feel like one is better than the other or like, are you less, cause I, I, I don't think one is better than the other, but it's interesting to think about creativity and like what is quote unquote more creative. And mm -hmm. is that being a generative artist or is there an immense, and I, I do believe there is immense creativity in being an interpretive artist, but yeah, what's, what's your like point of view on what is better? And I don't even want to say better, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like more, it sounds like you're saying more creative, more creative. Okay. Maybe that's what I mean. More creative. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think like the universal narrative is that generative artistry is more creative. Like, well, you're just acting it like, but I wrote this song. But okay, I think the thing is, as you were saying that, I was like, well, I think with interpretive artistry, you can do it without being creative. <laughs> like you can be a non-creative actor and be successful. I think there are a lot of them. Hmm. And I think with generative art, you can also be non-creative generative artist, but I think it's harder to like get away with it, maybe. Hmm. I, I don't know. I, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's not true, because I'm sure that there's a lot of popular, well-known generative art that's not quote-unquote creative, but also who's the judge of that? I don't know. But I think with interpretive art, like, you could, as an actor, just, like, really say the lines and not be creative, like, not come up with any of your own ideas that are based, you know, um, anchored in the script. You could dance a dance and have it be totally technical and not creative, per se. Mm. So I think maybe that's and at least in my brain, that's why I'm thinking that like maybe sometimes generative art is thought of as more creative. But I think both take like if you excel at at both crafts, they're both incredibly creative. And interpretive artistry that is creative is outstanding. And mm. like that's what moves us so deeply when we're watching. And that's why we remember specific performances I mean, hopefully it's because it's bolstered in great writing, but it's usually highlighted. It can only we it can only be memorable if the person interpreting it is incredibly creative. Yeah, that makes total sense. The idea of you could be an interpretive artist and not be so creative, but the difference in like a good performance and a great performance is when someone is being both in a way, like using the script or the things that they were given and then putting their own point of view on it. And that's like true artistry. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, you talk about your experience on tour. Now I can say how we met. So I, <laughs> I think it was 2016, 2016 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We were in California, right? Yeah. You were Sophie and Mamma Mia on tour. And I had a friend from college in the same production. And funnily enough, I think one of my, a few of my friends had auditioned for it. It was like the big thing that year, you know, the non-actor of Mamma Mia. That was like the thing. Um, But yeah, so I ended up seeing the show and you were Sophie and you you were that for me because four years later, 2020, now we're talking and I remembered you because of that performance. And so that is such a great example of interpretive artistry becoming generative artistry. And like, those are the, like you said, those are the performances you remember. So yeah, that was just so beautiful. And it's so cool that I saw you on stage in like a theater of, I don't know, maybe 500 people and here you are, here we are face to face over Zoom, like having this conversation. So that's, I think that's so cool. But will you talk about what it was like with Mamma Mia being on tour, uh, performing night after night for the year, going to all these different places, mm-hmm. uh, maybe what the audition process was like, anything that you want to mm-hmm. share from that time in your life? Yeah. Um, that was... <laughs> Those are the good old days. Um, no, that was a great. Thank you for saying that. Also, mm-hmm. that's very touching. Um, the I'll say that the audition experience was pure joy, which I think is so interesting. To also, it was joy doing. Um, that's funny, but was the casting director for people who don't know. Um, yes, it was joy <laughs> Yeah, I that. But it, it really was like the whole experience was, it was one of those things that wasn't like, I want to be in Mamma Mia, so this is my strategy and I must get this. Like every step of the way was like, huh, cool, huh, fun. Like I was called in for an audition from, so Joy came to Elon where I went to college because instead of like a senior showcase, we invited casting directors and agents to campus to like work with us, do mock auditions or whatever. And then Joy called me in to New York during my senior year and I auditioned and it was so much fun. Um, I will say that like I prepared a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So for anyone auditioning, (laughs) Um, it was really fun. I was like, cool, so fun, great, love it. Went back to school, kept living my life and then got called for a callback so flew back to New York and basically I flew back and forth from New York to North Carolina like multiple times and every round was like I was just in my bliss like in the room I was totally playing I was not judging myself I didn't feel intense about the whole thing of course every time you get a little closer you're like oh wait I'm so close now I want it um but yeah it's just interesting to reflect that I was never once judging myself. I was totally experimenting in the room. I remember like the final callback, just like totally going balls to the walls in Honey Honey with people I didn't know and totally just joy. And yeah, then I got it. (laughs) And the experience of tour was, again, a year of joy. It was 
honestly not a show went by that I wasn't so grateful to be doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I think a big reason for that was, well, first of all, it definitely highlighted that I love (laughs) musical theater and acting and singing because it's the best thing ever. Um, But I also like chose my narrative like before every show because there were some shows that I would show up and feel stressed or like I did not sleep enough or there was some drama going on in my life. But every show I intentionally would like see that and let it go and remind myself that there is someone in the audience who is seeing a musical for the first time. Mm. At least one person. And there's probably at least one person who is seeing a musical for the last time. And I would always like anchor into that before every show and remind myself that why I love doing this and remind myself that each person paid a lot of money to sit in a theater for a few hours and like be taken on a journey and made a night of it. So I really was intentional with um, dropping in with presence and intention and gratitude and generosity because I was literally getting paid to sing and dance barely dance but sing and act on a stage for two and a half hours like how could I give it anything less than everything (laughs) Mm -hmm. I got chills when you said this might be someone's first time and this might be someone's last time what a beautiful way to frame it instead of coming at it from a perspective of like oh I have there's all these people watching me I have to be good I have to give them what they paid for instead reframing it and like giving it as a gift and coming from that place of generosity. I think that's what makes all the difference. And even you talking about your audition experience, the fact that it was so much joy and bliss for you, it's like you find those those things where it's like it it proves that like that experience was meant for you. And right. I truly believe as an actor or as an artist, you know, we apply or audition for so many different things that you get rejected by. I mean, everyone says like the the number one thing you're gonna face being an artist is rejection and you're gonna hear more no's than you will hear yeses. So it's so cool to hear about an experience where it just felt totally aligned. And I I truly believe that like what is meant for you will be for you. Um, And so on the flip side of it, has there been an audition experience where maybe you got really close or you didn't get something and you had that rejection. Did it feel different in the process of it? And how did you deal with that? No. Oh, such a good question. I mean, yeah. After, after Mamma Mia, I was like, I'm the, can I curse on here? Yes. (laughs) Okay. After, after Mamma Mia tour closed, I was like, I'm the shit. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to move to New York and like probably book Broadway like real quick. Um, And then that like I had a rude awakening, I guess, um, in that I was it didn't matter that I was the lead on a national tour. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was like a very intense and interesting like come down and awakening and reality check of Mm -hmm. like the the reality of this business that I mean Mamma Mia was was meant for me and gave me something really important which I think 
I mean, it's, I'm constantly learning, like reflecting and learning from that experience. But one thing was belief in myself that like, no matter how many times I hear no, I know that I can do this and love doing this. So I can't, I won't let the rejections, quote unquote rejections, uh, dictate my belief in myself. But, but yeah, I mean, I think especially as if anyone's done the non-union actor grind female actor in New York City it's a lot of auditioning and a lot of nothing and no's and you know it's not even a no it's a nothing (laughs) Mm. um but how okay I can go so many different ways can you ask me the question again (laughs) yeah I I think it's really cool that you had this experience like the height of like you you hit the ground soaring, you know, as you graduated college and entered your professional life. And then after that year of tour, you entered New York and then were, you know, the same as everyone else kind of. And so what a interesting experience to have. And how did you, like, what did that look like for you? How did that feel? How did you keep going and not get, you know, not give up? Oh, oh. Oh, um, I kept going because I love theater so much. I mean, you know, you feel the same. It's that's how I kept going is because I held on to the why and I really hold on to the feeling that it gives me to do theater and the and the confidence that I know I have the power. I have something special that can move other people. Mm. And just that, like, embodied expression is – I'm calling it embodied expression rather than, like, theater specifically, but it really is theater. That's the closest, like, specific name that I know in our society. But embodied expression is my calling, so that's what I hold on to. And Mm. and nothing – I think it's interesting, like, some people do theater. It's more of an ego thing, but – and it's easy to get tripped up in your ego when you're, like, constantly being evaluated. But I guess I held on to like the deep knowing and I honestly dealt with it with a lot of up and down and a lot of like realizing that I would be crushed or I was like grinding myself to the bone in a way that wasn't helpful and then I'd have to like journal and reevaluate and then readjust like okay I'm not going to go to every single audition I'm going to get specific on the ones I want to go to. So again like we said before it's like I would go I do it one specific way, get burnt out, and then learn and then readjust. Um, And classes really helped, like taking classes to feel like I have an outlet outside of the audition world. Yeah, I think finding artistic outlets outside of the audition grind. Yeah. I love that this idea of like readjusting and negotiating came up again. And I think that's such a cool thing to think about living a creative life because of course we always want to strive for balance but balance is like I think that's why we're human because if we were in perfect balance all the time like there would be no conflict I don't know if balance is achievable I want to believe that it is but I think it only exists like in the moment and it you don't have long stretches of balance so it's always this dance of like, okay, I'm at equilibrium right now. And now I'm leaning a little to the right and I'm leaning a little to the left. And how can I like adjust my footing? So it's this constant 
yeah, renegotiation. And it makes me think of how important it is then to really get to know yourself and to know those signs of, because I think that's when people get tripped up of like, oh, I didn't even realize. And now I've fallen off. I've fallen off too far to the other side. And now it's like, I'm, you know, down on the ground and I can't get back up. But Mm -hmm. I think learning those like subtle shifts of weight, I don't know, this metaphor is really now just coming to me, but it feels totally is how it feels. And really getting to know those like intuitive signs to notice when you're out of balance. Yes. Yes. That's it. I love the dance obsessed with that. And yeah, I think it does take, I think the idea that we're in balance, that's, it's not a stasis thing. It's a constant Mm. changing thing. Like exactly you said. And yeah, I think it takes immense self-awareness. And I think that's why a lot of actors burn out because they're, they keep going, they keep going, going, going the same way, even while they're burnt out and then literally get sick or they don't reevaluate or check in with themselves and see what do I have to do differently they're like no I'm just going to keep pounding this way and eventually it'll break through and maybe it will but chances are you won't feel the way you want to feel when you get it because you felt if you're burnt out on the way you're going to feel burnt out when you get it yeah you might feel an ego hit an excitement for a second when like you book something but then if you've been operating a certain way you're going to keep operating that way likely likely yeah So I think it takes immense like evaluation and reflection in the form of like journaling or talking with friends or really being still with yourself, which is so hard with these devices. Yes, the addictions to the devices are real. Even yesterday, I had an experience where I was really getting the message to slow down and my mind wanted to be like, oh, but how do I do that? What does that look like? Like, do I have to create a new routine? And it's like, whoa, no, slow down means just stop. Like you don't have to think about it. And I, and I realized that like, and and I was like, well, does this mean that I have to give up something that I'm doing because I have a lot on my plate right now? And do I need to give something up? And it's like, no, you just need to stop and you need to let your restful moments be restful moments because I'm realizing that my quote unquote restful moments are scrolling on my phone and it's like, well, that's not true rest. And so how, how can I, yeah. How can I just be still and be silent and not check my phone and not check my Facebook and just be, and that's, it's so hard because we're so wired and addicted to our things. And like, even me, someone who knows this, someone who tries to practice this daily, it's like, I get into it and it's just easier to scroll and distract and numb instead of really facing yourself and like listening to that inner voice. Yeah. So that's super present for me right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, but the only way you know that you want to turn your phone off is because you've gone, you've fallen into like numb land and distract land and you notice that it doesn't feel good. So now you'll start to edge yourself the other way. I love that. Readjust, readjust to balance. Will you talk about what you're doing now with teaching and how does teaching fuel your creative soul? Yeah, I have always loved teaching. I, so let me like give a teeny bit of background maybe first for a sec that in middle school and high school, I was on dance team um, in my public school and that was my everything. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like captain for middle school and, da- and high school. And I really love like cultivating a culture of teamwork and mm. 
and helping uplift people and give them knowing how to give them the adjustment that will speak to them. And then in college, I was the assistant teacher for a a few classes in the musical theater department. And I just always love like nurturing and uplifting and theater artists or artists really and helping them. It's really, (laughs) I think, honestly, what a lot of us need as artists is to just believe in ourselves. So yes, we need technique. Yes, but we also need to believe in ourselves. And sometimes we need to like hear the right things to start to go that way, to start to believe in ourselves so that we can unleash like our greatest artistry. Mm. Um, yeah, the past few years I've taught like workshops and master classes here and there. And I it always just lights me up so much. So in this, and I've always said, I really want to coach and teach young theater artists, but then I get swept up Like this time last year, I had a goal to teach. I was like, by the end of the year, I'm going to be teaching and coaching. And then I got swept up in auditions and my own performances that I totally let it go. So now in this time, like you said, there's so much like a chance to be still and to tap into what we really want. And I will also, okay, let me also say that last year while I was doing West Side Story in Tokyo, I had a moment, it was honestly probably exactly this time last year because it was approaching my birthday that I was sitting before like one of the scenes and I was, I mean, I was really grateful to do that show. It was wonderful, but I felt really unhappy in this moment because I was like, it's about to be my birthday and I'm not doing everything that I want to be doing. Like I'm not having the impact that I want to be having. I'm moving people in a show, but I want to be having like a direct impact. I want to be working with people in real time and helping them like find that liberation that I feel on stage. And I don't feel like just performing is cutting it anymore. It feels like I'm not close enough with another human being to really, really impact them the way I want to. So in this time, I've been really leaning into teaching and coaching and like grabbing any opportunity I can to speak with young theater artists. Like I did a wellness workshop for Governor School of the Arts with, I co-led it with Tynia Brandon, who's another theater artist and just helped high school theater artists know how to learn how to take care of their well-being and how to navigate comparison and fear and anxiety and I've taught a few classes at my high school alma mater and now I've been coaching. So I coach and teach primarily young theater artists and then dabble in some other things for professional artists as well. But I've been really leaning into the young theater artist realm. So if any young theater artist wants help with both technique and mindset, I think they're equally important, actually, because I think, like you said, with flow, like if we want to get lost in flow, we have to build up our technique. And I want to teach people the technique that I wish I had earlier. Mm. The technique that allows me to get out of my head and into my body. Wow. that It's so cool to hear how you we're in Tokyo in West Side Story, like probably living a lot of people's dreams and realizing, wait, this isn't totally it. Like this is close, but this isn't the the thing. So that's so cool to hear how you discovered and leaned into this other side of 
of communing and like being in direct artistry and creativity and being able to have that impact on young people. That's such important work. And I love working with younger folks, especially like high school to college, especially high school, because they haven't, they don't have to unlearn as much. Mm. So they're like, I remember when I was in high school, I was like, anything that someone taught me, I was like, I soaked it up. I mean, I'm always kind of like that, but I was like, yes, this is gold. So it's a shame when someone, and in college, I was like that too. So it's a shame when you are taking everything as gold and some things that you're being taught and given are harmful. Yes. And you don't have the discernment. You're not discerning like, wait, this isn't working because you want everything to be true Mm. and real. Yeah, that's how you change the world. You know, people like you starting them young, so... Thank you. The last question I'll ask you is, what are some creative resources that have inspired you lately? So this could be books, podcasts, music, some, some kind of creative content that we can look up and get inspired. Mm, okay. Free Play by Steven Nachmanovich is everything. It's everything. It's, it's, I would say, I mean, any age could try it, but it's a little intense like I don't know how it would land on someone who's in high school maybe they'd love it if you're in high school and you listen to this and you read it let me know but it's amazing it's like zen creativity it's the it's called free play improvisation in life and art by Stephen Nachmanovich that book the other night actually I started this keep moving by Maggie Smith I'm holding it up Yeah, Keep Moving by Maggie Smith, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change. And that's been really nice to read at night because at night is when all the demons come and all the, like, what is happening with my life swarms. Mm. So I found that, like, cracking open something simple and anchoring like this has been really nice. Always big magic. Always. And for actors, Intent to Live by Larry Moss. Ooh, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Oh, oh, podcast, Brene Brown's podcast. Yes, always. And the most, re- not the most recent, but the episode with Sonia Renee Taylor was everything. Wait, I'm going to, I'm going to throw in two more. Please. Okay. <laughs> um, Cleo Wade. I just got her little book. Heart Talk? Yeah. And Where to Begin. Those are also like kind of similar to Keep Moving by Maggie Smith. Like you can just like crack it open to a poem or, and it makes you feel grounded and warm inside. Mm. And then um, another amazing poet, Lester Mayers. Check him out. He has this video. I think it, it might only be on his Instagram. I'm not sure. Called like In and Out. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Do you have like show notes? You'll Yes, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll okay, okay, cool. Lester Mayers. He's amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. You have such good recommendations and we're so like on the same page. So I'm like, anything you're reading, I want to read. <laughs> so think I'm going to definitely check those out. And if anyone's listening, they can too. But thank yeah. you so much, Lizzie. This conversation was so cool and I have lots of new nuggets to, to think about. And so thank you for giving me that. Thank you, Leah. Me too. And now I'm going to like mull over all these questions that you ask me and I bet tomorrow... I would, we'll have different answers and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? It's like, yeah, this is, this is what the answer is now, but yeah, 
but yeah, tomorrow could be different. And that's life. That's art. That's creativity. That's everything we've been talking about. So thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creative Soul Podcast. And thank you so much for listening. If you liked this podcast, please feel free to send it to a friend and tell them what inspired you. Or feel free to connect with me over on Instagram at the underscore modern mermaid with your thoughts. And if you would be so kind to rate and review the podcast, I would love to gift you my guided writing meditation that will help you connect deeper to yourself, your creativity, and your spirituality. Just take a screenshot of the review and send it my way at the underscore modern mermaid, and I will send over the meditation. Stay inspired, stay creative, and keep shining your creative soul. Bye.